0: This is a secret transmission. Are you going to inbound this year? The big HubSpot event in Boston, September 5th through 8th. If you are going to inbound, boy, do we have something amazing lined up. HubSpot and Reveal are partnering to bring you Nearbound at Night. The add-on event of the event. This is the Inbound Plus event that you don't want to miss Thursday. September 7th, Nearbound at Night, HubSpot and Reveal. We are doing a mini golf tournament, amazing food, drinks, ridiculous atmosphere, toasts on the hour from industry leaders from companies like HubSpot, PartnerStack, Reveal, MindMatrix, Sixth Sense. We've got a whole bunch of people are going to be there. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Nearbound at Night, during the inbound conference. If you want to go, this is VIP only. It's very limited. The space has a limited number of spots available. They are filling up quickly. But if you want to go, shoot me an email, isaac at reveal.co. That's I S A A C at reveal.co. And I will send you the special link. Nearbound at night during the inbound conference, it's going to be the place to be. Hope to see you there.
1: All right. What is up, partner up? We're back. We got a trio here today that has been a long time coming. Probably um, Isaac. How many times has Jill pinged us about? this particular guest being like so joe rally's like you have to talk to such and such how many times like a dozen
0: uh i mean it it has to be over the course of like it's been at least six months i feel like this has been in the works for like a year since like the partner actor day i don't even know i didn't like last year you know pre pre uh merger with reveal i don't I even know
1: but yes it's time it's time we do this it's time that we announce the special guest uh sangram welcome to Partner Up, my man.
2: Man, I'm so excited for this. So not just you, but Jill has been me too. It's like, why are <laughs> you not on this? So if it's any consolation, I think it's uh, it's on both sides. Uh, so I'm excited to be here to talk about
0: it. Yeah, Jill's running that nearbound uh, influence play right there on both of us.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm actually going to take a picture right here and send this to Jill right now, just so there's some proof. Um, So I just sent that to Jill. There we go. Boom, done. Live on the pod. Hey, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're live. Well, Sangram, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, we've been doing some cool stuff with GTM partners and Judd and kind of like, you know, trying to align to what, uh, the kind of the cool work that you're doing over there. And, and, uh, actually I kind of wanted to start there because your story with helping create, you know, the ABM as a category, um, was something that I was really close to at drift, right? Like we built lots of ABM integrations and kind of played that space. And after Terminus, you know, we were kind of. I think is the market, like what's anger we're going to do next. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit why you, I actually kind of want to know this, why you started GTM partners? Like why, why was there like, what hole were you trying to fill? And like, why now? Like, why yeah. is it the right time to do something like what you're doing?
2: I and mean, it's a pretty stupid idea, actually, you know, if you really <laughs> think about it, <laughs> because every-
1: that's how we felt about partner hacker and a media company, right? So we both started businesses and we're like, why would you guys start those?
2: Yeah, it's Pretty stupid, actually. Uh, and most people who have built companies, like I ran Market part went through the acquisition of ExactTarget, Salesforce, and then built Terminus, as you said. So, you know, building companies, a SaaS product should be the way to go. And if you have done twice, who, which idiot would ever tell you to do something else? Because that's where you get multiples. That's where there is things that you have done. It's hard. Not many companies uh, or people are able to do and build companies of the skill that I got to do. So in many ways, it's a very stupid idea. At the same time, I had to look in, inside of me and say, what gives me joy more than anything? What is it that I do that is so effortless for me and I want to spend the next decade of my life doing it? It's really came down to that. And when I, when I step back and look at it, um, I, the three things that give me a lot of life is just innovating new frameworks. I mean, that's really where the Flip My Funnel and EBM, I think everybody would just, like, like you both, like, but not, of course, that's what you like to do. Um, so I want to innovate and and not have any guard So If I'm thinking, oh, I would start a product company. Well, again, I'm then thinking about that one thing, but I think about so many things. So it didn't make any sense. So how what will allow me to do more frameworks? The second, I love building communities and building uh, an idea where people are coming together. It's, it's almost a movement style, but I don't want it to be around just this one um Side project. I want this to be part of what I do across the board. So, what is big enough where lots of people can engage in it and still feel they're part of something? And three, I just want to have fun. Like I just this go around, I didn't want VC money. I want to build cash flow, efficient growth business. I want to to live and work in a way that I just want to do. So, so next decade really came down to these three things. And then when my last book move, which I wrote in, on go to market in 2019, became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. I got a tremendous amount of inbound on like, whoa, 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 and yeah, go to market. Yeah, talk about it. And now everybody's talking about go to market. So I feel like the right thing, right time made sense. And then the last part was Serious Decisions and Topo. They were the two analyst firms that got acquired in 2018. Some might say they got swallowed in, in 2018 by Gartner and Forrester. So for the four years, there was this void created in the marketplace. Like, hey, it's not an agency. It's not a consulting. Who is thinking about the new frameworks? Who is helping the the next demand waterfall, the next double funnel, the next flip? Like what is the go-to-market uh, way of looking at it? That gave me a lot of energy. So Brian, who wrote that book, and he and I were like, well, let's just go build the next analyst firm all around go-to-market. It's big enough where we can create movement and bring people from marketing, sales, CS, rev all of it together. And it's, it's in our lane enough because we know we have built companies. It's all about how making sure you have a great go-to-market. So that's how it all started.
0: I I love talking with people who are, have clearly found their sweet spot. You said you wanted to have fun this time and I'm like you just have it. You exude like you it seems like Sagram you're in your zone and I love that. That's uh and just aspiring to like just remember yourself like I don't want to do things that I hate all the time, right? So like can I can I work to eliminate more and more things that I hate from my plate and you end up finding out what you're uniquely good at what you're uh, where
1: you're in the zone so i definitely feel that energy coming from you the the thing that um you know kind of going to my in isaac's story Sangram is like this is stuff that i've heard from let's say andy raskin um yeah. and obviously i saw it with uh, david cancel uh, over at drift is the thing that it sounds like that you chose outside of let's say your personal like hey do i have the energy which i think is equally important um like if you're uh you know an executive sales leader, you better like sales, right? If you're an executive partner leader, you better like working with people, right? Um, If you're an executive marketer, you better like content and copy. Is like most people fail to make kind of their decisions and how they approach, uh, let's say, change from an undeniable shift in the market. Yeah, Um, and I think what I'd love to hear from you is, you know, you said, what's that new thing? What to you from your vantage point is the undeniable shift in marketing and sales and success teams in this, you know, uh, you can't really call it a go-to-market department per se, but let's say every company does have a, company does have a GTM. So what's that shift for you?
2: Well, that's a great question. So quick story on this is when I ran marketing at Pardot, I thought sales are crazy. Sales don't know what they're doing. I'm giving them a lot of leads. They don't do a great job of it. That made me think about building this whole idea of ABM. Like maybe we need to do account based and that drives. So that's really led to starting terminus and starting this whole ABM, like marketing and sales, no more alignment conversation. We should all be focused on accounts. We should all be focused on pipeline. We should all just do this together. That led me to 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 building ABM. And then over the three years or so as we build this new category, uh, we had a lot of churn issue in the first couple of years. And as anybody who's a new category building, they would know you'll have early adapters and then those, oh, this is awesome. And six months later, they're like, I'm not sure. What am I doing here again? And so we have to like re-educate the market and all of those people. And I said, well, the customer success are the people who don't know what they're doing. Like I, I, we need to bring customer success part of this conversation. That expanded my vision of what go-to-market is. It's way bigger than I ever thought. And then we wrote the, when we wrote the book, it became even more clear than Brian Halligan, who's the CEO of UpSpot. And I interviewed him, he's like, who owns go-to-market? And he's like, I do. I'm like, no, 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 you're a CEO of a billion-dollar company. I understand the buck stops at you. I understand all that stuff. No, no, you don't understand. I own only three things. I own the vision for the company. I have to repeat that to every single person 100 times every day, through my partners, to my investors, to the market, all of that. I own the culture of the company, because if you don't hire great people, we're not going to build great business. And number three, which he says I get no credit for, is go to market. And there are decisions like, should we spend money on marketing or sales? That's a go-to-market decision. Should I open up an office in EMEA or stay in North America? That's a go-to-market decision. So it just blew my mind that go-to-market is way bigger and way more than I thought. It's not a product launch. It's not a product marketing. You're making decisions every day on go-to-market. So that was the big shift that happened for me that give me, gives me so much energy. Is like And with AI right now, like, how many use cases of go to market could be addressed with ai it is making me so happy if i was just building another software company that did chat or podcast or something i would be stuck in that one thing now i'm looking at everything in go to market and it's all business decisions are go to market business decisions
1: whenever um i kind of like translate that into the next thing um I- I've always seen with you in your content and it's so funny that we hadn't connected until now and just your speaking events and uh by the way, I do have to shout out that panel you had a few weeks ago. It had like um you had uh Gainside CEO, you had HubSpot CEO, yeah. you had like that was just like the most power heavy hitting thing.
2: Henry uh from Zoom Info. Henry from Zoom Info, like it like it was like, yeah, it was amazing.
1: That that was like yeah, Godard, you had Yamini, you had Henry, and then you had uh uh Nick. Nick, yeah, Nick, right. I was like that, what a panel. Um when you're having these conversations with other industry and kind of category defining leaders, right? Like look at all of those, you have reviews, you kind of have, you know, inbound, you have, you know, customer success, um, and data, and then you have, you know, data, right? Like there's this big thing. What are those conversations like with those people? Right. I think that's something else that people are tr- trying to, especially listeners of this podcast that are trying to, let's say for the first time, you know, let's set some context for maybe a second Sangram. For the first time in uh, their executive kind of partner careers, uh, they've been, you know, doing 10% of revenue, maybe 15 or 20. They know what they're doing, but marketing and sales have kind of been other departments. And then all of a sudden marketing and sales leaders are coming to them going, hey, we need to figure out this partner thing. And I think you have to align at that CEO level still. Yeah. What are those conversations like with those CEOs that might give, for example, a partner executive Maybe the confidence to go, hey, I can go have these conversations because this is how CEOs are talking today. What are those? What have those been like with you in the macro shift?
2: Oh man, it's so interesting around this. We just dropped a research um, report, like or, or, or announced that we're going to drop one, but aligned on this idea of what are the go to market motions, and we blended the ecosystem led where companies were. Where you, a classic example is Salesforce by creating App Exchange, which is a very ecosystem led move. And, and another was channel, where a lot of the salespeople understand the channel part and collapse that into partner, because that's the right wording around it. So this conversation is really important to me. Um, and when we think about that partner-led, it doesn't mean that your entire company is partner-led. What it means is that you're going to use that as a way to drive your business outcomes. At an executive level, at the C-level, when I'm talking to Nick or Yamini and others, they are literally looking at saying, well, what will this particular lead movement or motion that we're going to use, how is that going to not just incrementally change, exponentially change our business? And not in the course of next three months, they are looking at things that will change shift in the next six, 12 months, 18 months, three years. So as a partner person, I would paint that picture. I would paint a picture that is more about, all right, this is where the market is. Here's where we need to be. This is a longer play. But here's how we would go about it. We need to be focused on inbound and outbound, and we need to get to this, this event and community. But this is going to bring us the longer term deals in the marketplace. This is how you establish yourself as a category leader. This is how you're going to have not another 10% incremental revenue in your business, but 40% revenue in the business. PartnerLed has that opportunity to do it more than any other go to market motion in the business. Yeah, you know, it's funny.
0: Uh, it's easy to kind of like, if you feel the need to, you know, argue your case, say you're in partnerships to feel like, okay, I've got to have some framework that I can come with, some some argument for why this strategy is important and forget that the best argument to start with is how are customers behaving? What do buyers want? And that's where it gets really like where people start to... The, the conversations get easier because when you say, look, how do you like to buy things? How do you discover things that you want to buy? What's your typical journey look like? And you realize pretty quickly that you're thinking more about as a buyer, who you're talking to, who's giving you information, who's influencing those decisions, who that has solved this problem before that you trust has recommended it. And when you frame it that way, like, look, here's the buyer, they're surrounded by all these nodes of trust. We need to tap into those. Some of those are our partners. Some of those are vendor are people that we partner with who are vendors that they're already buying from. Some of them are service agencies that they're already working with. Like they though there's some of those nodes surrounding the buyer. And even, even if we're, you know, still doing our outbound and inbound, we can tap into those partners and layer them onto those plays as well because buyers are this is the way that they work. And it all starts with the buyer. Like it's easier to forget.
2: Isaac, I would add one more layer to that. What's really exciting at the sea level is there truly I think this is the gap that I see every time or most times when I'm talking to partner people is that is still what they hear that they hear the same argument that you just mentioned from a marketing person from a salesperson and from some of the other people the gap a lot of times I see in that argument and where the CEO is trying to connect the dots and I call this like burn less calories of people is like, okay, how do I move exactly what you just said? But how do I move that? How and what is the way to do it? And I think 100, I think partner-led is like leapfrogging that level of connectivity in that. But you have to tie it to the, rev, to the revenue numbers. You have to pay, help, help the CEO to say, in your vision of building this company to the next, let's say 50 million, 100 million or a billion, whatever that is, this is a key part that you need to have if you can connect the dots for the CEO for that, you're you're in game. If you can't connect and now they're burning calories, like, well, I hear the same thing. Yeah, buyers are, but I don't hear that. Like, how does it fall in my vision to get to that number? Because that's what he or she is saying to the board and investors and everything. That's when I see a lot of mismatch.
1: It kind of makes me think a little bit too, though, about kind of the, whenever you were starting Terminus and ABM kind of started to catch on, um, there is some similarities in that, like there we were amidst uh, kind of a big shift. If any folks listening has ever been in an old school sales and marketing alignment meeting, right? Like you're laughing, Segre, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. That maddening, like just you know, same complaints from marketing, same complaints from sales. Like it, it's it was
2: the same as Glen Gary, Glen Ross, right? Well, it's even. I don't know if it's worse. One of my favorite books is I don't know if you guys have read it, is Who Moved My Cheese.
1: Yes, yes. So that that book saved my life. By the way, that book actually saved my life at one point when I had a really dark time. It was yeah. a great little book. Yeah,
2: yeah. It is. I, actually, I have a thirteen year old son, and I gave. He's written, read that like three times now. I'm like, this is going to be a lifesaver for you. Read that. Don't fall in this. And and that was. Those are the. The reason I'm laughing is because I, I, every time I've been in those meetings, it's literally that. Who moved my cheese? I literally see everybody being becoming mouses and they're all trying to figure out, oh, who moved my cheese? Where's the number? No, my number is the most up-to-date. Or no, I think this is... And we're talking not about the problems that we need to solve as a team, which is why go-to-market is so exciting to me because it's not a functional thing anymore. And that's why I love partner stuff because partner is not about a function anymore. It is about enabling. It is about accelerating. It's about driving an entire company in a direction which is beyond exciting to me. So, sorry I interjected, but that made that picture came to me in my mind of like, prove my cheese. Uh,
1: Amazing little book for, um, you know, going through a transformation or change um, and to have the right mindset. And I'm going to back into this question in a strange way because this is actually going to get really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, Is I often find that the change agents, the people that, let's say, identify the problem the most, like who the heck here is sick of these sales and marketing alignment meetings? And here's this ABM thing. Or for example, um. hey, why the heck weren't we marketing with this partner that has access to all of this? Our CACs too high? Or why weren't we doing this co-selling? And they're the ones that surface the problem. Oftentimes aren't the one that win the debate. Yeah. So for example, I've known a bunch of partner leaders that were able to, let's say, get the mind share of the executive team, but then they weren't the ones that ended up leading the transformation, right? It's like they created the problem and then they kind of got shot as the messenger on the way out, right? And then someone else comes in and kind of takes it. And it's like, if they hadn't they hadn't done what they did; that transformation would have never started. And kind of this, uh, I'll kind of start there for talking a little bit about. I think you identified the problem very well. And flip my funnel was a positive message, right? It wasn't an anti-message. But there's something to be said for like the person that highlights the change and the need and the desire, and then perhaps the one that ends up winning. Um, so that's my strange way of backing into the question of I think you deserve a lot of credit for creating ABM. Truly, I, I truly do. At the same time, were you that type of person that you created it, but there was this next wave of people that like kind of benefited from you knocking down those initial dominoes, you know and uh, let's say not not necessarily winning the entire category. Um, yeah and by the way, this is what Jill and I are texting about right now, so blame her.
2: <laughs> well, I mean I'll be I'll be honest. I feel like uh, demand demand base and success, let's just talk about six success, demand base as we all were trying to get in the same space. I think in the first three, four years, uh, we, Terminus was like on top of the, I mean, that was by default, people understood it. And then over the last few years, I think demand-based and six senses put significant amount of non-reinvestment, but also focus on it. And they have moved on and furthered the pause than I think Terminus did in the early days. So 100%, most people, Jared, when people ask me like, hey, yeah, we want to do that. We want to build that category. And my answer to them is no. Don't do that. And unless they come back three more times and with that conviction that, no, I really want to do it and I want to do it for the next 10 years of my life and I want to really focus on it the most authentic way possible, I really am invested in this idea to that level and, I'm, and I'll am and i quote them and then say, look, think about this. Can you imagine inbound being inbound without Darmesh and Brian? Bingo. No. Can you imagine Paul Smith also without Nick? Can you imagine Salesforce building Dreamforce without Mark Benioff? Like that's the level of passion and marketing that you would never hear the CM name of the CMO of any of these companies ever. Like if I ask you, who is the CMO of any of these companies? Chances are kind of know somebody, but really these CEOs are the CMOs or the go-to-market leaders bringing the message because they their passion. And they signed up on some dotted line with blood saying for the next decade, we're gonna stay on this course no matter what. That's a not a marketing uh, decision. It is an executive, CEO, founder level decision. Not something most people understand and do.
1: Right. It, it is a journey to almost like a public type company, or, or at least that you know billion dollar kind of milestone, so to speak. Um, you know, uh, without throwing any shade, I mean this almost literally. Like, who's the CMO of Drift? And like, you, you, you kind of want to say Dave Gerhardt, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> like, is Dave? Well, no, it's not Dave Gerhardt. Right? it has nothing to do with that. Um, you know, like that's uh th- that's like the the this strange thing is like, um, I think the lesson that I just took away from everything that you just said is that like if you want to be this person inside of your organization that helps drive this, you know, transformation, this change, you know, whether you call it partner led or ecosystem led, or you're using nearbound strategies to let's say like actually take some tactical steps forward. What you need to make sure that you understand is that, like, it's not coming from anyone else. Yeah. It has to be on you. So, like, you have to be the evangelist inside of your company and, you know, demonstrate to your marketing leader, your sales leader, your CEO look, I'm going to die on this hill and I'm going to be with you for the long haul, or you're going to have to kick me out. You know, like, I I am here to drive this transformation, not just the plays, the tactics. Because your point about Brian and Darmesh, you know, like literally it took a snowmobile accident to take out Brian. Yeah. Right. Like, I, boy, you know, he literally was on the verge of death sitting at the bottom of a cliff with his son, you know, just last year, right? Like a year, year and a half ago. Like that's the only reason, you know, he finally was like, hey, I have to take a step back away. You know, um, they're so intimately tied to that transformation. I think it's a really salient point.
2: And it's, it's not about the product. Like, oh, none of them are about the right. product. inbound is still talking about inbound, but guess what? They've already become a wheel, but they are still talking about inbound, and the name hasn't changed. Uh, you know, I'm in Atlanta. Is uh, a quick quick example on this is Chick Fil A is a great brand. If you ever been in Atlanta or South, like you'll know, people are like crazy about Chick Fil A, and and what's interesting is I know the VP of marketing at Chick Fil A who worked on that brand for a while. I'm like, man, are you not done with cows? Like, you know, you've been running the cow thing for the last decade. Like, how long will you have the cow on it? And as a marketing person, you know, you want to come change. You want to change the color. You want to change the message. You want to try new things. And he's like, this is the question we get all the time. And we do surveys and data insights in it. And we have only penetrated, even after a decade and a half, less than 10% of the market.
1: Right. I mean, we're like the Geico Gecko, right? Like, you know, like hey, how about, when is that dumb gecko going to go away? it's like, no, like never, right? I actually just saw something. I, it, this is me going a little bit off the rails. I saw this this morning and it was from a Harvard study. And I believe it was from um, a GTM strategist, kind of director at Salesforce, but it was an HBR article about the difference between, um, uh, let's say, call it um, what ultimately a buyer ends up purchasing. Is it 81% of the time a buyer is purchasing the brand that they were first aware of. Which is like this shot, sh- the the, shab- the stat was shocking. And if it would literally been any other name than HBR, I would have been like, that's BS. Like, that's just not true. And what they were what they were kind of calling out was like intent data. It's like, look, 81% of the time, the the second, third, fourth, fifth place leader, once there's already intent, the brand that created that intent, they win 81% of the time. So you can imagine the Geico Gecko right? Yeah. The the cow, right? That brand awareness where you're like, I want a chicken sandwich, right? Or like, I need insurance. If they're the ones that created the intent, 81% of the time
2: they win. Oh man, that makes, that's why I love this. I've said this so many times. Brand drives demand. Most people it look at it is so opposite to that. Oh, let me just start doing pay-per-click and SEO and all of that. Partnerships is actually building brand. Bingo! Um, this category stuff—that's that, stuff the connection. Yeah. building brand, and that's why it is a—it's it, a bigger. It, it is, has to be somehow part of the CEO founder's vision statement. That it is. It you need to be linking up to it. But Go ask No,
0: I I was going to set up a question, but you've tied it together. Like, okay, Jared, uh, you know, kind of set up like a devil's advocate. Doesn't that study fly in the face of you know this idea that? Um, people are looking to people that we, that they trust and that, you know, you should be working with partners because if it's all about just brand marketing, when Sangram said partnership is part of brand, like that just brings it home. I, I was recently, uh, talking, um, I think it was a, I think it was Rev Genius event. And someone asked like, what is the, you know, what's the number one thing about when my previous company is like, we built it without any sales team or anything like that. And they're like, how did you build it? And I said, well, it was content and partnerships. But those, were, those came second. Those only worked because we had a radical point of view, right? right? We, had a, we had something unique to say in the market. Because of that, the right kind of people were interested and willing to partner with us because we had a radical point of view and our content actually mattered. But it, it had to start with that point of view. Like Love I that. think that's, I'm, I'm biased. I'm a CMO and I'm a big, you know, like category design guy, but I'm telling you partnerships They work so much easier. I was just writing an article about this today before we got on here. When you have someone, when you've got a point point of view, points of view that overlap, they kind of attract each other magnetically and you find partners really easily and you find working with them really easy because you're saying the same things or things that are complimentary.
2: All day long, man. I remember like, so back to Terminus, our flip buffer was the answer to the problem that we said, less than 1% of the leads turn into customers. You don't want to be that. You want to be on the right side of history. Let's change it. And then we painted the old funnel and then put a new funnel, like literally upside down in front of it. And that that got people the visual, the promised land around that. Same thing with go-to-market partners. We have t-shirts that people are like trying to buy and we did a limited printout of it that literally says you don't have a marketing problem, you don't have a sales problem, you don't have a CS problem, you don't have a product runner. What you have is a go-to-market problem. It's really trying to break down the silos. Is like, no... A marketer cannot solve a sales problem if you are trying to do it in individual functions. And you have to ultimately look at saying, get rid of your marketing and sales meeting. Get rid of your pipeline review meetings that are all about one or two teams. Make it about go to market and say, how are we going to market? What do everybody need to do to drive business outcomes? It is a much better conversation. Yeah.
0: Looking at your, uh, you've got this great. And I've, I see it in all your emails. Um, the la- I don't know there every week or what your email newsletter. It's always good, but this, uh, the six go to market, um, the six go to market motions. So inbound, outbound, pretty well established. Product led is now pretty well established. I would say, partner led. We've talked about. You've got event led and community led. I'm really curious about those because as a as a marketer myself. I look at those and I'm like, are those like, like, are they big enough to be considered like standalone motions or do those kind of get wrapped into like event-led? Isn't that kind of like part of inbound, part of your content strategy? Certainly partners, you can layer those things in with partners. Community-led, everybody talks about it, but like, what does it look like? Because if you have a community and then you're you're trying too hard to like tap into that to sell, then the community doesn't work anymore. But if you're not doing anything at all, like you got to... So I'm curious about those last two. I feel like those are very early and they're kind yeah. of a little bit amorphous right now. Tell me like, what, what what caused them to make that list and where do you see
2: the upside there? Great question. So so I'll, I'll use Eventlet. And, and and before that, just a data point, every research report that we write, it is back-to-back data. We have G2 partnerships. So we see where the money is flowing. We have Bambara parts. So we look at all our data in order to make these these recommendations, and again, I enjoy saying that. And controversy is not a not a new thing for me. So uh, it's a, it's it's what we want, and in a civil way. The reason event led uh, we looked at that was because as COVID hit, and people started to think about events differently, and all of a sudden we became all these virtual, and then air meets and gold casts of the world started to pop in. And here we're looking at that, and what was really interesting, it for the first time I saw a, a clear wave of saying, "Whoa." People are actually not looking at events as how many people show up. They're looking at events to close deals. They're actually looking at events to do drive pipeline. They're actually looking at expansion deals through these events. And all along, most people have looked at events as like, all right, let's just see how many people showed up. That's not what events are. And the best companies in the world actually know this way before I understood it. Like anything, like most people, I feel like I'm late to the game. I'm just trying to say it up first, but it, I'm late to the game. So let's just use, again, Salesforce or HubSpot as an example. Salesforce does, obviously, the big event, Dreamforce, every year. And I was at Salesforce, and I, the reason I stayed longer there was because I want to see how Mark Benioff builds his business. And the way he did that was through this one event. And I was like, why, why does he do this? And the reason he does that is he wants to get everybody in the company, everybody in the partner, everybody in the ecosystem, to say the same message and drive your product innovation. So use that as a forcing function. But he doesn't stop at that. Every Almost every month, he has three to five Salesforce 1 events happening in different cities where companies are closing in deals, partnerships, everything is happening. And so he uses the bit of event to drive their pipeline. And when you peel the onion and look at the numbers, almost 30, 40% of the revenue comes from these events. So if people thought about events as like, oh, big webinar, 500 people showed up and, and then we close the books on it, you have missed the whole idea of the event. So that's an example. All
1: right. So we have these six go-to-market motions. Here, here's kind of my take, Sagram. The first three, inbound, outbound product, they're about me, about us. They're about our company. The second three, partner, event, and community are about the market. Yeah. So I kind of think like the first three are about orienting yourself as a business around, let's say some of these motions. And then the, the second three are about orienting yourself around the market. So for example, when you're doing inbound led, you know, like to me, that is my take on how I'm attracting the market. When I'm outbound, it's my take on how I'm targeting the market. When it's product, it's my take on how I'm converting, right? The market. Yeah. And then these other three. It's the the lens is almost inverted, right? It's where is the market at, right? So partners, events, where, like, for example, you would never do an event of like just your database and just you. That's like the dumbest thing ever, right? Events are for bringing a lot of people together um, that are customers, right? They're about
0: living in the market or surrounding the market. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to playing around
1: with language here. I, I see what you're saying that the distinction between those top and bottom three. Right. So th- there seems to be something here. And here's here's the phrase that came to mind for me. And um, uh, I have a permutation of this. You probably have heard some permutation of this. Um, I think it might have originated from Slack um, and Stuart Butterfield. But the phrase was great product never beats great go to market. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. And, you, you know, hip chat versus Slack. Right. You can look at, oh, you know, all of these different permutations of this. But I added another one. Great product never beats great go to market. But great go-to-market never beats great ecosystem. And I think the bottom three of these is why, is there's that force multiplier effect on top. So you, you would almost have a maturity model of like HipChat. I was yep. a HipChat customer. It was great. Worked awesome. Yeah. Right. It was fa- fine. And then there was Slack. But then Teams comes in like a monolith, right? And had the ecosystem, right? They had the partners. They had the events. They had the community, right? That was Microsoft. That was Teams. And then look at OpenAI and the transformation of AI. If you if you were starting a competing company to OpenAI right now and selling into the Microsoft install base, like that bottom three. Let's say you had the top three. Here's our inbound. You know, here's our all of our strategy. Then Microsoft comes in with their partner community, their massive events where they bring thirty thousand people together, hundreds of thousands of people online in their community. You're like, whoa, you're in a tough spot. I love your take on that.
2: You, first of all, I've never looked at it that way. That's a phenomenal way to pull those three and distinguish between the uh, between the top three in banner one product, and then partner, event, and community. That's a great way. I'm gonna I'm gonna roof. I'm gonna spend time riffing on it. Awesome. Uh, with on that one, so great call out and great way to look at it. The other part it made me think about was our research shows that most companies have at least three, if if not four of these six go to market motions in play right right like it's so it's, it's not like oh I am you know people you think about the lead as like this is oh that's all I'm doing no 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 you you have that plus this plus this that makes that impact for your outcomes really well and then again the salesforce event is not just event it is all of that included in it but here's another uh, riff at it is you don't have to start at the top with those three things you can start with the bottom and get to the top so in the case of pretty much HubSpot, I mean, they were on the verge of dying before they acquired the company uh, with that David Cancel was running and that became part of their marketing automation platform. They had great event. They had great community. As a matter of fact, I would say they even they did not have partner, but they have all this inbound working for them, but they didn't really have a sticky product. It's very similar to what Terminus happened. We had this whole flip my funnel thing and we have all of these things. So we have all the bottom part but our product was still in the making of it because we haven't really fully, and we understood where to go, but we didn't know the steps to get there. So the bottom three can give you the time, which is really what kills all deals and all businesses, is the time to to figure things out. You, if you can build the bottom one, they will give you a pass almost to figure out your product. Now, mm-hmm. if your product is bad, you're going to get out, You know, at some point you're going to you know, lose your, your shit on that one. The, uh, actually, this this is...
1: This is a really interesting um, uh, kind of takeaway here or or thought process, Sagram, you you solicited um, is, is there a, when you said time, is there a difference in strategy or approach based on whether or not you are the category leader? So let's say you're the first one into market, right? And you start with category, right? Versus let's say you're, let's say a late entrance and then you go category based on just kind of doing some rough This company, this one, this one, it seems to me like if you're not the category creator, or sorry, if you're you're not first to market with the product, then category creation is a decent play. But if you are first to product in market, then category creation might be actually a really tough play.
2: It's a harder play. It's a harder play because you already have a figured out point, point of distinction in it. So Terminus is an example. We started with advertising. And I remember G2, at that time it was g2.com. And and the reason I'm on they had me on their advisory board is, is also part of those reasons because early part, they uh, they were like, oh, you're advertising product. We'll put you in the advertising bucket. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're account-based marketing. They're like, what is that? I'm like, it is the new thing. And like, so I'm going through my speech. This, this is in 2014, 2015. Nobody really knew what that is. So rightly so, they didn't want us to be and like, No, no, we're going to just put you in the advertising after all, that's what you do. And we're like, no, our vision is bigger. So I said, you know what? Instead of that, I would rather have you never even list me. Because the thing is, if you don't position yourself, somebody else will position you. Boom. And you out-position that is very, very hard. So if you would have been categorized as an advertising platform, we would not have been able to raise money, raise conversations, get market going. Just So I said, don't even list us. And then for the next six months, I went to John John Miller when he was running Engage.io and I went to Vendemore, and I went to, went to Demandbase because it was run by another company, uh, another people. I said, you all need to, we all need to come together. And then we went to G2 and said, look, there are eight other companies who are doing ABM. This is not a, there is no such thing as category of one. So I get what you were saying of not letting letting us be that but here are eight other companies who want to do it. So we created a consortium and we went to G2 again and that's when G2 said, you know what? Okay, fine. All right, we'll create this ABM category. But that required us to take a hard sense and say, whoa, don't even name us. We would rather be anonymous on G2 than you positioning us into something that we don't want to be in the future.
1: I want to tie this, tie this together for the audience and I want to kick the question over to you, Isaac, is um, my, my takeaway from that, if you're if you're listening to us and hearing us espouse Nearbound and what Songram just said, You know, like um, if you don't position yourself, someone's going to position you, right? Like, I think absent your positioning inside of your company, you're thought of as the partnerships department, the third wheel right at the date, the third rail, like, hey, you know, they're kind of over there. If you're not right now today going to your executive team with your positioning and your framework and leading that charge and saying, hey, no, we are going to adopt a nearbound strategy. You can't adopt a partnership strategy in the marketing department. That's not a thing. That's just not like, go tell me about the partner marketing book. It doesn't exist. Like yeah. there's not one, right? Go tell me about the partner sales book. It doesn't exist. There's channel books, tons of channel books, tons and tons of uh, detail out there, but that is not told from the perspective of the sales leader. And I think that's where, um, where I'm so optimistic about nearbound is being that positioning to come in and go, no, no, this is what we're doing at this company. And I'm leading that charge, which is different then the mindset of the box that that executive is already putting you into you're yep. a channel department you bring me leads not the i don't i don't do stuff for partners you bring me referrals you get partners to register deals for us right like you're already screwed if that's the position that you're in yeah
0: yeah it's it's interesting because it also it kind of changes the resource allocation battle just a little bit so if you're like you know i want more resources to go to my department well, whose department is that going to come away from? But if you go to the sales team and say, "Let's try to get X percent of our say, of our deals partner sourced or partner attached." Now, that's those are resources that are still within the sales team, but it's just a, a where are those things being dedicated. So that was a, a question that I had for you, Sangram. What are you seeing in the market? You've got these, you've got these six motions. Some of them fit pretty neatly inside departments. Some of them won't. What are you seeing as far as like? resource allocation and ownership of these plays like what is you know a company that's running maybe four of them like how are those kind of breaking down where are those lines going in terms of ownership and resource allocation
2: well first of all I think last lot of us have to I uh, had to recognize especially in b2B uh, the role Cmo didn't exist until 2001 2002 most people don't know that they feel like it has been there forever
0: but by, by the way sigra uh that's such a great little note because I spent years of my career working with young people in the early career space. And I would always tell them, don't stress too much about what you want to be someday, because what you're going to be doing in 20 years probably doesn't exist yet. And uh, 20 years ago, what I'm doing now didn't exist yet. So there you go.
2: We <laughs> yeah, like So everybody need to chill out on, on, on all of this. And the second part is this. What we did was literally uh, took a revenue, clear revenue line, and we started to split it in the name of uh, creating clarity. So we split revenue into sales and marketing. Then we split that further in revenue into sales, marketing, and customer success. And then we continue to split that into adding rev ops and enablement. And obviously now, and partner becomes part of it as is, is almost a third wheel, if, if that wheel even exists. And so it gets marginalized over and over time. What we propose and what we are starting to see in the marketplace is the rise of a almost achieved go-to-market officer. It's a, it's a new role that we imagine, just like ABM didn't exist in 2014. Like that didn't, people didn't even understand, but now it is in almost all companies who are doing ABM. There is an ABM manager, there is a director of ABM, and they typically report into to VP of marketing or CML. We imagine that there will be a chief go-to-market officer, which will reimagine this whole function and instead of splitting them, will actually be in the service of the customer and not by trying to say, hey, where is my budget, where is my budget, where is my budget? It is going to be like where? What do we need to do to drive this? Where do we need to do? Unfortunately, today, if we create that role in most organizations, they will be, typically it will be a salesperson, and nobody wants to report. No marketing wants to report into a sales leader. Like just not okay. what they want to do. They would rather report into a CEO, who is also a salesperson sometimes, but they would not want to report to a chief revenue officer, who is a glorified salesperson. So what do we do? So that's really where the crux is. So where I, when we see these go to market motions. I think everyone who is on the side of, all right, we're seeing history change in front of our eyes. We're seeing AI pretty much obliterating the entire manual job functions of a lot of the sales uh, teams that used to do. And so we need to get smarter people to be able to work in their smartness as opposed to trying to do more manual work. As you start looking at this, we imagine we're going to have chief gold market officer. We're going to have, instead of revenue splits by function, it will be part of the same team it is going to come back to that original vision that most companies had back in the day
1: i love how um uh the framing on like some of these you know the lexicon like chief marketing officer right like uh the the, the power of language and network effects you know abm flip my funnel um these things that kind of have you know staying power we sometimes forget that the words that we use are not the words that you know the rest of the market is kind of like using um and these things, you know, they they are shaping how we, you know, go to market and the roles and everything inside. And it feels like we're at this such this interesting time that everything's kind of up for grabs again.
2: Yeah, yeah, and everybody's ready for it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. For the last year and a half, Jared and Isaac, I think we we had this moment of pretty much everybody shippish about making change, making. Any decisions, everybody was just in there. I'm just going to sit in my chair and see what's going on, right? I just don't want to enter the arena. With the big push on the AI, I think all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, I never thought, let's just figure out what the use. Of. I mean, Nick on that, the, the, the event that we did a few uh, few days ago, uh, Nick being the CEO of Gainsight, he literally said this phrase. He said, I as the CEO have never has, have never been so intellectually challenged as now with the use cases wow. that are with the app. Like he is a CEO of a $100 million plus companies that I'm spending more than 30, 40% figuring this thing out. That's the CEO of a company that could be public tomorrow, right? Like, so the point being that everything, Jared, you're born is up for grabs and people who are going to change history, this is the moment. This is the moment where leadership is born. This is the moment where people actually make things happen. This is the moment where people actually say, I wish others could do that. Now, Now it's you. Like now it's me. It's now it's everybody who's listening to this. It's up to you. Position yourself or be positioned. Figure out what you need to do. Boom. Woo. Wow. Sangram, everybody. That was uh, that was one of
1: my favorite episodes, Sangram. We were just geeking out over here, having fun. Isaac and I are like slacking and taking notes and going back and forth and just uh, having a blast with you. Um, what an empowering way to end the show. I think I'm going to call it there because I could not think of a better way to end it um isaac we got one plug before we uh end probably where uh if you're listening to this you got the push notification on your phone come see me at catalyst wednesday 9 a.m uh this should come out on uh what's that the 20 it'd be the tuesday uh, right before i think right the tuesday right before so then come see me wednesday 9 a.m uh the 23rd um if you're in denver otherwise go to nearboundsummit.com. register for the summit sign room, we're gonna have to shoot you a note afterwards and work you into that we're gonna have well over five thousand, seven thousand, some ten thousand person number um for that in November. So go to nearbound Isaac, anything else? I don't think so, man. Uh
0: I feel like there nope, you covered it. You got it. You checked off the lists. Good job.
1: I'm not even needed here, Jared. <laughs> no, no, that was uh, that was a heck of a conversation. Well, Sagram, thank you so much for um finally making the connection. I'm so happy to have uh made it. And look forward to doing some cool stuff with GTM partners in the future. Uh, You've got an amazing team there across the board and I've loved working with Judd, for instance. So um, Sangram, everybody, the godfather of ABM, lots of takeaways here for you. Partner up, peace out. We will see you all next time.
2: Thanks, everybody.